Visit Yamaha.com slash band for downloads, news, and product information about all Yamaha wind instruments. way you approach your students in Eastman and the fact that you, as a classical trumpet player, also try to encourage them to get into improvisation and to deal with the jazz thing and why you do that. I thought that was very interesting oh. when I was up at the school. Okay. Um, well, one of the things that I'm interested in doing is making uh, the, the people that come to study uh, are very highly motivated, very talented. They want it badly. The problem is, is that there's not that many jobs out there these days uh, in symphony orchestras, and it's a tight market. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people are defined by, well, I'm in the such and such symphony orchestra, therefore I am worthy. I'm not in an orchestra, so it means I'm not quite as worthy. Well, that's baloney, you know? You're an artist, you're a musician, and you work where you get the opportunity to work. And if you're a complete musician, you can work just about anywhere. And to that degree, that's what I'm interested in uh, having my students at Eastman participate in anything. Um, we have a klezmer group. Uh, we have, well, the jazz department is really quite good there. And uh, I encourage my guys to, and ladies to play in the, in the jazz band because the idea of improvising, the idea of, uh, of looking at a standard melody and doing something with it it's amazing how that addresses various parts of the brain. You know, we have the intellectual part of the brain and we have the habitual part of the brain. The, uh, the intellectual part is uh, where whenever we're talking and we're uh, discussing things, uh, for example, an intellectual thing would be on a map, up is north, and it always is. But there's another part of the brain which is intuitive. And that part is usually taught by, hey, listen to this, can you copy that? Or, Watch me hit this, hit it the same way. In other words, different parts of the brain engage in different ways. And when we intellectualize what's on the page, when we look at what's on the page, we look at the notes on the page, we're, we tend to address one side over the other. And the side that we're, we're talking about is the intellectual side. And I've got to be honest with you, I think it's gotten a little too, too much in that direction. Music tends to dry out if it does that. Uh, the other side of the brain is the, the part which is pretty much intuitive. If it feels right, how does it feel? I'm, I've asked this uh, of a few of the guys that are jazz majors and come and study with me. They want one or two lessons. Um, uh, they bring in a charlier or something, and they uh, kind of freak out. Wow, this is really hard, you know. I mean, and I look at it. And I say, you know, if I were to if I were to take melodic dictation of the solo I heard you play night before last with the jazz band. If I wrote that down and put a French title on it and handed it to you, you'd have a heart attack. You wouldn't be able to play. You go, I can't play that. And it's three times harder than the Charlier. True? It's really, I mean, but why is it possible whenever you're in, an, in that spontaneous moment to do those things, yet when you look at the, on the page, you, you almost get handcuffed. And I think that that's an important thing to think about whenever you're practicing. Uh, those of you who are interested in the classical world or the orchestral world or whatever it is, because that's a, that's a, a box from which you should escape. It doesn't exist except that we let it exist. Um, I believe that, that uh, the idea of playing something spontaneously can be applied to classical music. 
do it all the time. Um, um, doing something like that out of a cornet solo, all that is is that's all it is. The improvisation is written down by the composer. Everything else is improvisation. And if you look at on the page, that's that's all it is. F to F. Everything else is improvisation. It happened, let's think of it as a Polaroid snapshot of the way that composer felt that day about the way the melody should go. The next day, he may decide it goes some other way. You can if you're a, if you're a soloist playing improvisation. But our responsibility as classical players is we have to recreate the spontaneity that's on the page, um, written down in the style that the composer and the milieu that the composer is from. If it's French, it has a certain aspect. If, it ha if it's a German piece, it has. If it's from the 18th century, if it's from the 17th century, we have to kind of recreate that. But the point is, is that it has to be spontaneous also. If it's not spontaneous, people get bored listening to it. And I hate to tell you, I feel it's starting to get a little bit less than spontaneous these days. Everybody's so worried about making sure every note is absolutely perfectly in place and everything. And of course, that's not such a bad idea. But the problem is, is that it dries everything up and so who's buying CDs anymore? You know, who's buying? We don't hear definitive performances or interesting performances of things as much as we used to. And I think that's one of the things that I'm going, going for at, uh, at Eastman is the idea that um, be a complete musician and then apply your musicianship to whatever, <laughs> whatever chance you get. You know, if it's with a circus band, great. You know, you can really, you can prevail there. You certainly can. Um, that, I hope that, answer, you know, that gets us started thinking about things like that. Let me, let me um, now switch and take a little bit more technical attack. Uh, um, this was about buzzing. That was the idea that I wanted to start with. But let's, let's, let's start at the very beginning. Uh, the question is, what's the first thing that strikes you whenever you hear a great musician, a great player on any instrument? What's the first thing that impresses you? Tone. It's the tone. Absolutely. If it isn't a beautiful tone, I don't care how fast the notes are, I don't care how high you play, you know, it's, or how interesting, you know, it's got to be a beautiful tone. It's got to be attractive. Um, the bar has been set very, very high over the last 25 years. Uh, especially people listening to uh, classical players. Uh, that has seeped into uh, jazz playing in terms of, of uh, uh, the, the level of play, attacks, and so forth, all of that. However, um, uh, what makes a great tone? I'd like to know. What makes a great tone? Yeah. Resonance. Resonance. What's resonant? Uh, when you're not fighting the instrument. You're, you're not playing, fighting the instrument. Playing the note that the instrument, you know, that you want to play and the instrument is cooperating with you. I like that idea. I tell my students, play the trumpet, don't let it play you. That's, a, that, that's along the same lines. 
but if I were to play. Where's the right spot? Is there a right spot? That's the one I can hear in the room. Let's call that the center. I like Rob McGregor's idea. It's like one of those bobsleds in the Olympics, you know. You're going right down the chute. You're not hitting the, you're not hitting the sides. You're not scraping up your sled. You're going right down the, right down the tube. That's a sweet spot. We call that the center. What makes it the center. Would you agree? Uh, give, me a, give me a high sign when it sounds right. Well, I saw three hands go up exactly at the same time. Okay, so what made it that way? Overtones. Maximum overtones right there. Okay? Most resonance. That's the sweet spot. If you're playing tennis, it's that spot where you hit the racket, where the ball goes with the minimum effort. It's when you, see the, when you see the baseball hit and the guy just doesn't do, it's not, not a big swing, but it goes over the fence and even surprises the batter sometimes. It's because he hit the ball exactly at the right place on the bat, exactly at the right time. That's, that's what we're looking for on the instrument. That's for the maximum overtones. Now here's an interesting point. Projection in the orchestra has to do with overtones. It doesn't have to do with volume. Everybody wants to talk about playing loud, you got to play loud in an orchestra. Uh, well, I've had the opportunity to play in several orchestras, and uh, matter of fact, I did get a, get to play uh, on tour with the New York Phil two or three years ago. Arguably, the loudest piece in the literature, Shostakovich's Seventh Symphony. Does anybody know that? People that know it are going, yeah. <laughs> It's uh, basically a symphony about the German army attacking Russia, the Russian army meeting them, and a battle ensues. And the, the two armies basically are represented by the Russian army is the brass section in the orchestra. I mean the German army. The Russian army is the, there's a whole brass section on the other side of the stage. So you get two complete brass sections playing at the same time this music that it's, That, that's right at the point where everything is really loud. And I, now what I just played there, um, I, I, I was explaining, that's as loud as I, I was playing the first part in, that, in, the, in the Russian army. Um, that's as loud as I played. Now, did that sound loud to you? Did that sound, sounded? Not, you could sit here in front of it, okay? You could sit here in front of it. Well, I remember, Joanne Lamolino, uh, is she, she here? Yeah. You heard that. You told me. He says, you heard the concert. You yeah, said, it, so yeah. And I kept saying, that's as loud. It's nice to see you. <laughs> wow, great. Uh, but that's as loud as I played in the, in the orchestra. It, and I think that's a very important thing to remember. It's the, the quality and the resonance of your tone rather than the if you play louder, and you force it like that, 
I don't want to put that in front of you. That actually hurts. Because it's, huh? The volume of it hurts. It's distorted. If you, if you back off and get, a, get more overtones, that quality, you can actually hear it ring a little bit more. Okay? That's really what you're going for. That's exactly what a singer does. A singer can sing over a Wagnerian orchestra with all these brass players and double strings and everything and play uh, you know, the, the ride of the Valkyrie. They, they can sing over the top of that and still be heard. One voice over all these people. It's because of the overtones. And if you've ever had the opportunity to be in a room, even this size, with a well-trained opera singer who lets one fly, you know, it's almost unbearable. It's almost unbearable. It's so loud. It seems so loud. What it is, it's just the purity of the, and the, the resonance of the tone. So if you can do what I'm talking about here, get the resonance and don't push the volume, the woodwind players that sit in front of you will be very happy. They will be much happier, you know. We, we see this prevalence now of these plastic screens in orchestras, which is, you know, that's just simply a result of everybody thinking, you know, the, the screens are there and then, or oh, I better play louder, nobody's going to hear me now. So every just, it gets way out, of, way, way out of whack, and the louder you play, it just doesn't work. I, I remember um, after listening to the first, first two or three recording sessions with London Decca when we were starting to record in Montreal, uh, their whole concept of sound was such that, you know, where brass players are going, I can't hear myself. This is not what I want to hear. This, I, I want to hear more. So we start playing louder. And the engineers come out and they say, look, if you play louder, we're going to turn you down because this is the balance that we want. And if we turn you down and you play louder, it's not going to sound louder. It'll just sound distorted. So play less. Let's go for a real, real uh, uh, typical balance, you know, a more realistic balance, and you'll sound like a million bucks. And, you know, they knew what they were talking about. So. Anyway, that's, uh, that's the first thing. Now, how do we get that sound? What is it that we're after? Well, we're trying to put it right down the center. Now, here's a few little tips on that. The louder you play, the more overtones you make. The softer you play, the fewer overtones you make. So what happens is, well, I'll just do this little exercise. Listen to the fundamental and listen to the overtone. What you hear is whoosh, whoosh. You hear the, the overtones recede and, and they increase and recede and increase and recede. The fundamental stays about the same. Now, that being known, you can use that technique to modify your quality of tone. Think of the idea of having, between mezzo piano and forte, having about 50 different dynamics. Not necessarily for the dynamic level, but for the color level. So if you wanted, if, if you were playing and somebody was saying, well, you know, I'd like a little more German sound. Well, what's that? Okay, so let's translate to say a little darker sound. I don't like that word, but let's use that word. Well, why don't you back off the dynamic a little bit, make fewer overtones, and see what that does. Is that a slightly different quality? You know? Okay, it's different. Okay? Now, in the interest of surviving in an orchestra, when the conductor says, I want a different sound, you've got to come up with a different sound. That's what they want. You know, they may not know exactly what they want. I remember uh, playing Shmoyl, uh, and Zubin says, could you make it sound more Jewish? <laughs> 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 
So uh, I just accentuated the modal scale coming down. Make it sound a little bit like Fiddler on the Roof, and he was happy. But the point, the 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 point is, is that what you know, what the, what he what he's challenging me, or what the conductor is challenging you to do, is be creative, and that comes back to the jazz thing. By the way, that comes back to you know, be creative on everything. It's not just what's on the page, but that's now. Uh, I really like the fact that you use the word tone. I like that because I make a differentiation between tone and sound. Okay, tone is what you make when you hit the center of the pitch, when you're right down the tube, okay? Sound is what you do when you modify it. Now, how do you modify it? You modify it with volume, just like we saw. You could modify it with uh, the length of the notes. You could modify it with the vibrato, intensity of the notes. You can modify it with the length of the notes, how hard you attack the note. All of those things can change the way that uh, the sound is. The best example is I remember when I was playing the Phoenix Symphony many years ago, uh, a very famous violinist came with a Stradivarius. First time I ever heard a Stradivarius in my life. And I was really excited to hear, what's a $2 million instrument sound like? <coughs> Comes out and he plays a tuning note, and it sounds wiry. It doesn't scratchy. It doesn't sound good. And I think, that's a $2 million instrument. That was back when $2 million was actually about $4 million. But you know, it just didn't sound that good. And then we started the Brahms concerto. And then with the vibrato and the way that he modified the pressure in the bow, the sound that he was able to cre create, coupled with the, this intense uh, resonance of the instrument, made this sound like clear as a water, just as just pure water, all the way back to the end of the hall. And, and I realized that sound is what you modify your tone is one of the things that inc is incorporated in your sound. You can change your sound. You can make it sound baroque. That has nice, almost D trumpet quality to it. Okay? You can go the opposite of the spectrum. Make it sound almost like a rotary trumpet. Or... With the vibrato, make it sound a little bit like a cornet. Now, all of those things, um, you can say, are color. You can change the color of the sound. But that's what a conductor is looking for. That's what, in music, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for these different qualities. And um, if you uh, can master those, if you can change them with some kind of control, then you're going to be able to sit in any orchestra and play any style. And that definitely improves your, your income potential. Okay. Find out why players around the world are raving about Yamaha Artist Model Trumpet. These Artist Model instruments showcase the attention to detail and focus on quality that only skilled craftsmen can bring. 
No effort has been spared in the design and production with the ultimate goal being to offer a handmade instrument that is truly at the pinnacle of manufacturing standards and to achieve the quality level necessary for the most discriminating artist. Visit www.yamahaartistmodel.com to see why your next trumpet just might be a Yamaha artist model. Yes. Uh, I have to ask you a question because uh, uh, I, I, I'm being a nuisance to myself even asking the question. How much does uh, transposing music have effects on, on tone? I know so many people who have had to go into concert and transpose a fourth, a fifth, and, 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 and their ramishures were torn to bits, you know, they, they just didn't know what they were doing. They did it, but I mean, how much of an effect I never have worked in an orchestra where I had to transpose. Well, uh, uh, how, how much does that pertain to, to? Well, let, let me relate it to what I first started talking about, left brain and right brain. Uh, transposition is almost purely a function of, of the left brain or the in intellectual part of your thinking. And if you get too much into that, you, you lose the, the intuitive or the habitual part of your playing, you know, the, habits, the habits that you have built up. And that can tear you up. On the other hand, I like to transpose. I, I like F transposition a lot because when you're down to... last one standing in Mahler too. that's not a high C. It's written as a high G. It looks so much better as a G. And there's something psychological to that, really. So it can be a positive thing too. By the way, that particular phrase for those who um, are going to have to play it, it's written for four trumpets. High C, four trumpets. And the way you do it is you all hit it as well as you can. And if you drop out, fine. Don't try to come back in. The last one standing is, has made the diminuendo. Okay? It's, that's really where you're talking team effort. Okay? You're talking team effort there because that's, a, that's, that's basically you've just exposed yourself. You're, high, you're playing a high C forever, you know. Getting back to the, to the concept of, of tone and um, how we create this, how we create this quality, um, the best thing to do is to think about how it's done on the voice. How do you do it on the voice? What are the exercises? And the exercises are a lot of times, ah, you'll hear singers in the, in the practice room doing all these things that sound like dogs being tortured or whatever, you know. The thing is, what they're doing is they are balancing the, the, the vocal cords in the air. And the best way to do that is to, excuse me, I've got to get a piece of equipment. The best way to do that is to learn to buzz your mouthpiece. And the buzzing of the mouthpiece is, is a, again, it has a, a, mostly to do, it has mostly to do with freeing yourself from the old habits that you have. Push the valves down, you do a certain thing with your lips and your air. But whenever you don't have the, when you don't have the valves, can you make it ring all the way, just like a voice would do? Can you copy a voice? 
you can play evenly, in tune, and keep the quality supported, and by the word support, I mean, can you make it ring? Can you make the notes ring on the mouthpiece? If you can do that on the, on the mouthpiece, the trumpet's easy. You know, it really is. Because the trumpet gives you a little bit more resistance, and uh, it also it's a little bit, uh, it, it acts a little bit like a crutch. You know, you know where the notes sit. That's one of the, that's one of the main things that I like using uh, the mouthpiece for. If you can buzz it, you can play it well. It can change your tone quality. Thank you.